I love to sing its word. This sounds like music in my ear, the sweetest name on earth. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. It tells me of a Savior's love who died to set me free. It tells me of His precious blood, the sinner's perfect plea.
I mentioned earlier, we're getting ready to start our summer Bible studies, a place called heaven. And so I thought for the next four weeks, I want to share a series of messages with you about heaven. And the first question that came to mind is, why should we be focused on something that is out there in our future? Why should we think about heaven? Why should we focus our thoughts on heaven as we live here on earth each day. And as I thought about that question, I was reminded of a trip I took back in 1997. A group of us from the church went to Israel. Uh, now that's a major trip. I had never been out of the country except to go across the border from Texas into Mexico for a mission trip for a few days. And now we were going to travel thousands of miles across the ocean to spend 12 days in a foreign land whose customs and culture were quite different from our own. Needless to say, we, we decided we needed to be prepared for that trip. You don't just throw some clothes in a suitcase and go to Israel. So we spent months preparing for that uh, reading up on Israel, learning as much as we could about the country and their customs. And so we had some sense of what we were going into. And I thought about that experience. Here I spent months preparing to go to Israel. How much time do people spend preparing for the journey of a lifetime? Or should I say an eternal lifetime? If I'm going to spend a lot of time and effort to take a vacation-type trip, how can I be casual about a journey to the greatest place I will ever go? And someone, someplace I'm not just going to visit, I'm going to take up residence. Do you think about that? It would, how much more preparation would I have done if I was going to Israel to stay? If I was moving to Israel, I would have done even more. And our journey to heaven is not just for vacation. Our journey to heaven is for all eternity. So I think we need to focus more on that or have our minds and our thoughts more focused on heaven. And the Apostle Paul understood that. And our scripture today comes from Colossians 3 in the first four verses. He says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you shall also appear with him in glory. Notice he, he didn't just say, think a lot about heaven. But he said, set your hearts 
on heaven. Set your minds on heaven. Your heart uh, is kind of symbolic for your desires, your feelings, your emotions. And so Paul is saying, make the greatest desire of your life heaven. To be with God in heaven. To experience the glory of God's kingdom for all eternity. Desire that above anything else in this world. And set your mind on things above. Fix your thoughts there. How much different would daily life be if instead of getting mired down in the circumstances and the problems and the situations I find myself in, at the back of my mind I always have a thought about heaven. Boy, it really minimizes this, doesn't it? This really isn't a big deal. Because someday I'm going to be with God forever. This problem over here that seems overwhelming, it's really not that big a deal when compared to eternity in heaven. It gives us a different perspective on things. And we're going to talk about that in, in another message. So what comes to mind when you think about heaven? What kind of images come to mind? Do you think of pearly gates? St. Peter sitting at the pearly gates, the streets of gold? Do you think of angels sitting on clouds, strumming their harps? Do you think of, for some people, heaven is whatever their perfect place is on earth. You know, if you're a fisherman, this is Tom, here's your heaven. If you're a fisherman, it's this beautiful lake. It's perfectly calm and clear. You can just look down and you can see all the way to the bottom. And it is just chock full of the biggest fish you've ever seen. And almost as soon as your line hits the water, you feel that tug. And you just catch all the fish you want. Some people love to hike. They love the outdoors. They love forests and woods. And, and so heaven is just this beautiful grand forest where you can hike all the time. How about Walmart? <laughs> Do you ever think of heaven as being like Walmart? Well, you know, I never did until this morning. I had a little time this morning while they were getting ready for the 9.30 service. And so I Googled heaven just to see what pops up. And one of the links, yeah, I'm, I lie not. I, I, one of the links, okay, it's kind of a sub-link. You know, you get these links and then you click on some of those. And one of the links that came up said heaven at Walmart. And underneath that, it said, save on heaven at Walmart. <laughs> Do I really want discount heaven? You got to think about that one. Here, I have three problems with associating heaven and Walmart. First of all, I have been to Walmart, and I do not want to spend eternity there. Although when you're standing in the checkout line, it feels like you may be spending eternity there. If the only way you can get into heaven is to go through those little self-scan things they have, I'll never make it. Almost every time I 
I see the lines are long, and I'll, I'll just go through the little self-scan thing. It, it flashes, it beeps, you know, and the lady walks over like, what'd you do? And, and you know, I just, they don't like me. They don't work. You know, you got to put your item in the bag, and, and it has to feel it, and I'll throw something in there, and it'll say, put item in bag. Item is in bag. You ever talk to these things? They, they aren't rational. They don't talk back. And the other problem I have is I just cannot envision St. Peter greeting me in heaven with a blue vest on. I just, I just can't. So, <laughs> I just love Google. I do. You get the weirdest things at Google. <laughs> I hope none of you, when you think of heaven, you're thinking of Walmart. I really don't. Um, or I have a bigger job ahead of me than I thought. Um, you know, the Bible says a lot about heaven, but yet it doesn't say a lot about heaven, if that makes sense. It talks about heaven often, but the details are lacking. You know, when I look up something, if I Googled a place, like when I, if I Googled Israel, because I was getting ready to travel there, I want to know detail information. When God talks about heaven, we don't get a lot of details. We get symbols and images. Whenever Jesus talked about heaven, he would say the kingdom of heaven is like. And then he would tell a story, maybe about a man who goes out and plants some seeds or, or, a, or someone who throws out the net and catches a bunch of fish or, or somebody that's walking in a field and they stumble upon a treasure Not a lot of details there. But I think it's interesting that when Jesus talked about heaven, he almost always said the kingdom of heaven. And that's important because it tells me the one thing I really need to know. Heaven has a king. And that king is God. I'll get back to that in a moment. And then there are two men in the Bible who experienced heaven while still alive here on earth. The Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the Corinthians that he was caught up into heaven. That he had this great experience of heaven. And then you're like, well, okay, tell me about it. <laughs> What's it like? Describe it. And, and, he's, and in 2 Corinthians 12, 4, Paul says, he heard inexpressible things, thing that man, that man is not permitted to tell. <sighs> Don't you hate that when somebody's all excited and you go up and you go, what? And they go, oh, I just got the greatest news. What? Oh, I can't tell you. <laughs> you know, I just... <sighs> And that's kind of like Paul is saying, look, you guys, I was caught up into heaven. It was amazing. It was magnificent. Well, tell us, Paul. Oh, I'm sorry. I can't talk about it. <laughs> or John. The whole book of Revelation is basically John's vision of heaven and what the, what the future holds for us. But he uses highly symbolic language to describe heaven. 
what he saw. And I actually understand that while it's frustrating and while I wish I had more detailed information about heaven, I understand why we don't. Imagine trying to describe the beauty of the Grand Canyon to a blind person. How do you do that? Well, it's this like vast hole in the ground. <laughs> um, there, I mean, there's all these rocks and it just goes down a long way. And, and you know, <laughs> how do you describe the Grand Canyon? It's one of those places you need to see it. Or trying to describe in sign language to a deaf person the beautiful music of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. How would you do that? It's not possible. And I think that's what Paul and John uh, experienced. It's like we saw this tremendous vision of heaven, but there are not enough words in the human language. There are not adequate terms to express what we saw. It's, it's so much beyond anything we've ever seen or known or experienced. There just aren't words for it. Will the streets be gold in heaven? I don't know. Maybe. Will the gates really be pearly? I don't know. Perhaps. Will angels float on clouds playing harps? I kind of doubt it. <laughs> I don't think so. The only thing we really know absolutely for sure in terms of what heaven is like, as I mentioned earlier, is that God will be the centerpiece of heaven. This is part of John's vision from Revelation 4. He said, there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. Do you see how he's struggling to find words to convey what he saw? But he told us enough to know. He is just trying his best to describe God on the throne as the centerpiece of heaven. And those who gather around the throne will worship him by saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. Not only is God at the center of heaven, but in that scripture I just read from Paul in Colossians, it says that Christ is going to be there too. He said, set your minds and your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. It would be amazing enough to see God on the throne. But you see God on the throne and there's Christ right there. And then it talks about the Holy Spirit being all around the throne. Uh, I just can't imagine experiencing the entire trinity of God. But that's when it gets really amazing. 
You know who else is going to be there? Us. We get to be there. You know these places, they have these real uh, exclusive clubs, nightclubs in, in these big cities. And you show these lines, people lined up, and there's the rope thing. And there's some big old dude standing there like that. And, and you know, people go up and say, we want to get in. Oh, no. Or he'll pull out a, no, you're not on the list. If heaven is like that, then we're going to go up to the big burly guy at the rope, and I'm going to say, I'm Roger. I'm here under the authority of Christ. And he's going to say, you come on in. You come on in. One of my favorite scriptures, and one that brings me more probably comfort and encouragement than just about anything else, is in the Gospel of John. John 14. Jesus said this. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. He's not going to lie about it. He said, the fact that I'm telling you means that it's true. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Two key words. I want you to focus on that verse. Prepare and place. Prepare and place. Heaven is a real place. It's not the figment of my imagination. It's not something that we Christians make up to use as an emotional crutch to help us get through the hard times of life. Stephen Hawking, the great physicist and outspoken atheist, said that heaven is a fanciful and imaginary place made up by those who are afraid of the dark. Well, if Mr. Hawking were here, I would tell him, I'm afraid of the dark. Because I'm talking about the dark that is the total absence of light, of love, of hope, of peace, of joy, a darkness that encompasses a nothingness. I'm scared of that. And heaven is my hope for that. It's a real place. It's the place where Jesus was. It's the place that Jesus left to come to earth and be born on that first Christmas. It's the place that he returned after his ascension back into heaven. And now it's the place that he is preparing for us. Think about that a moment. Heaven is being prepared for you. If you have a family member or friend call you and say, hey, I'm going to be in town such and such a day. Could I spend the, the night with you? Sure. We'd love to have you. As soon as you hang up, what do you start thinking about? 
oh man, that guest bedroom is a pit. I mean, we've, we've just piled stuff in there. Uh, we haven't tried to clean that thing for a long time. We've got to get busy. You know, we're going to have company here in about three or four days. You prepare it. You don't just wait till they get there and say, oh yeah, I guess we should have thought about where you're going to sleep. Maybe we should have fixed something up for you, prepared a place for you. No, we do that. We prepare a place. And that's what Christ is doing. He is in heaven preparing a place for us. When we show up at the gates of heaven or the door of Walmart, whatever it is, I don't know. No one's going to be surprised to see you. No one's going to be standing there going, wow, I didn't think he was going to be here. <laughs> How did he, you sure he's on the list? How did he get on the list? <laughs> no. When you're still a ways off, they're going to say, oh, look, Greg's coming. Let's welcome him. There is a place called heaven. And the more I can have that in my thoughts and in my heart, the, the easier it makes it to live through the trials and the troubles and the tribulations of this life. And I want to talk a little more about that. Next week, I want to talk about the assurance of heaven. How do I know I'm going to be there? What right do I have to walk the halls of heaven? And then the week after that, I want to talk about the peace of heaven. Knowing about heaven helps us to have suffering and death in a different perspective. And then the last message I want to share with you is the joy of heaven. Heaven is remarkable, not just for what it is and what will be there, but for what won't be there. Heaven is the absence of a lot of things that make life hard in this world. And we'll talk about that. So I hope you'll join us. Uh, join us in our Bible studies. Join us in our, in our worship times as we talk about that place called heaven. Let's pray together. Father, I'm so grateful that you have put the hope of heaven in our hearts. You've put eternity in our grasp. There's nothing in this world that we can't handle knowing that you are with us and that someday you're going to make everything that is wrong right. You're going to take all the sickness and the sadness and the death and overturn it. You're going to veto it with your love and your grace and your peace. Lord, we live here on this earth for however many days you give us. But for eternity, we will run with you in heaven. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, everything I've said about the hope of heaven depends on something. It depends on knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. I can't get there on my own. I can't earn it. I don't deserve it. All I can do is receive it as a gift. A gift that comes 
with Christ as our Lord and Savior. So if there's someone here this morning that needs to make that same choice that Barbara did, I'm going to invite you to come. As we stand and sing this hymn of invitation, we're going to ask you to come and let me pray with you. Let me share with you in a confession of faith, accepting Christ as your Savior, and then we'll arrange for your baptism as well. Stand together. Hymn number 82, verses 1 and 3, Victory in Jesus. How a Savior came to glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning, of his precious blood atoning, then I repented of my sin. Some sweet day I'll sing up there the song of victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He brought me. It is well, it is 
shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the 